Hey everyone, be Kevin here. Welcome back today. Well, right now in this video, we are going to debate. Well, maybe not necessarily debate, discuss Tesla versus Lucid and the CCIV SPAC. And to help me do this, I brought an EV expert on board. I brought Galley from Hyperchange on board. Absolutely incredible mind, not just in the world of EVs, board member of Arkimoto, but also cryptocurrencies, which we'll definitely have to talk about, especially since Tesla's going in. Who knows? Maybe Lucid will have to go into some BTC. Maybe they won't have to do any capital raises then, but we'll get to debate that. We'll see what happens. So I'm super excited. Uh, Gally, welcome aboard. Welcome on. Thank you so much for being here for a second time. First person to come back twice. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Lots to discuss today. It is a crazy day. I want to start by asking you, what did you like? What did you think when you saw what happened with just the broad market today? Because today there was a whole lot of pain. When a lot of people woke up, people's uh, you know poopy came out before going to the bathroom. You know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, personally, I think the market had been going up for so long and been kind of been in this euphoric bubble state. So I'm always like, you know, trying to buy businesses at cheaper prices, and I already have my you know to buy list. So. Um, I thought it was a healthy, healthy pullback and correction. You know, we can't go up 10% every single day with some of these crazy SPAC stocks. With it's, it's really, you know, it's almost just been this kind of insane market where sometimes I, I look at what the market's doing. I'm like, really? Things are up the even CCAV. It's up this much more today. Really? Like it makes me wonder sometimes like, where's all this freaking money coming from? Sometimes I feel like people are like anxious to to place all this money and it's like i gotta put it somewhere i gotta put it somewhere today and i'm like where the hell is it all coming from it's like a bottomless pit of money what do you think is it just is it just jerome with the money printer what's going on yeah no it, it definitely feels like that because it feels like you know there's no relation to the core business there's just this huge pile of capital whether it's gamestop or bitcoin or ethereum or whatever the flavor of the day is that is just <laughs> hunting to find it and so i'm trying to think is that you know hyperinflation that we're seeing among fiat currency and like what Michael Saylor is saying, you know, Tesla's buying Bitcoin. Is it just that everything in dollars is going crazy? But um, yeah, I got it. It just, it blows my mind how much money is just flowing into literally anything uh, with the SPAC EV name behind it. And Lucid, it just felt like the convergence of all of these trends at once, you know, SPAC, EV, Tesla competitor, uh, a really sexy, cool car. It really was. I mean, there was a point where this thing went to, uh, I, I told myself, I, I bought in at CCAV at like 19 bucks or something like that. And uh, there was a point where I'm like, okay, how is this thing over $60? Like if this if this keeps going, this is, uh, this is gonna be like Nicola day one where it went from like $10 to like $90 in like two days. Like that was insane. And, and here it was like almost the same pattern happening again. You know, I remember saying on my channel, like, look, it's one thing if you buy the thing, like certainly under $20, maybe it's another thing you buy it under 30, something like that, but $60, but it, it just, it felt like it was going to keep going. And, uh, is, is it just, is it really just an anxiety for people to place money or, or what's behind this? Or is it, is it wall street bats? What is this? I mean, it feels like a real FOMO, like the amount of people that bought Lucid yeah. to really hold on for the long term and invest at this valuation was super few versus people who bought yeah. because, you know, Bloomberg and Reuters had had announced that it would SPAC at this huge valuation. Everyone's like, oh, mm -hmm. when the deal gets announced, it'll it'll moon. And if everyone thinks that, then you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, yeah. it's already priced in. Like, I don't know why yeah. people thought they had an edge by reading the same Reuters article that everyone else read. But I don't know. So I'm, I've never been a fan of that type of investing. Like, I'm more right. of like, you know, do your homework, understand the company, uh, don't just buy 
buy it because it's going to SPAC and, and everyone else is going to buy it. You know, this kind of FOMO trade. I mean, it's it's very similar to like, don't buy Tesla because of a split or, or like the first time the rumor came around, right? Nothing's fundamentally changing with the business, but sometimes the market goes nuts. And, and the first split rumor, Tesla went to, I think, 525, only to fall back to like 370 after the split didn't happen. Uh, it, and then second, uh, like confirmed split is coming. The thing literally goes from that like 380, 400 level to like eight freaking hundred. I mean, in some sense, like I remember when the split was announced the second time, like officially, like, okay, it's not a rumor. It's actually going to happen now. I remember thinking to myself, is, is this just going to run up and then come falling back down because people are trading the news? But I mean, surprisingly, relative to the pricing over the last few months, Tesla's held up. Yeah. And I mean, in the long run, they say the market is a weighing machine, but in the short term, it's a voting machine. That's that famous Ben Graham oh. quote. And that's just mm -hmm. what I feel like it is right now. You know, nothing else matters. What's happening at Casa Grande, Arizona at that lucid factory? How much better is yeah. it than a week ago? You know, that's what I'd be focusing on if I was looking at the company. And so I think eventually this will all, you know, even out and somehow rationalize back to that intrinsic valuation of, of these assets. So let's talk about that. So Xping actually delivers vehicles. They deliver, I think they delivered like 4,000 cars, 3,000, 4,000 cars in December or something like that. Maybe it was January, whatever. Uh, Neo, they went from, I think, 7,000 in January to like 7,200 or something like that uh, The month a month later, so December to January. Uh, you know, these these are companies delivering vehicles. Neo's got the battery swapping tech. Uh, you know, Xping's got their own gig. Uh, they've, they've got some creative things going on. Uh, Xping valued somewhere around 30 bill after today, probably, you know, take off 10%. <laughs> I, mean, I, I didn't look at the updated valuation today. Uh, Neo somewhere around 80 bill before whatever happened today. Uh, you know, now we've got Lucid here based on today's pricing, probably somewhere around what, $58 billion. Does Lucid fit in between Xping and Neo who are actually delivering vehicles right now? It seems a little bit ridiculous. And I, you know, I think we just forget how low margin the automotive business was and how like mm -hmm. these companies are so detached from the current profit or cash flow stream that they're actually generating. Like, you know, all these companies are burning insane amounts of money. Um, so mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it is. It, and then when I think about the long term holy grail, why are these companies, you know, tech companies not look, they're looking at as tech companies, not car companies, it's because of this autonomous future, how much software yes. can we sell as a part of the car. And that's something where I think Tesla is going to have a monopoly on million cars, billions of miles of data first to achieve the L L5 self driving car loose is not really talking about their self driving strategy other than saying we have you know, more sensors than uh, Tesla and like more <laughs> LIDAR, but it's like, you know, it yeah. like that to me is the crux of if we're really thinking about why Tesla's justified hundreds of billions, why Lucid could, if you're going to buy in at 60 billion, this better be, you know, 500 billion in five or 10 years. Otherwise, where's your upside, right? So for that to happen, they need to have a robo taxi, a truly autonomous vehicle almost and an energy business. It's so it's like, when you think about even if they dominate that, you know, luxury OEM niche and can become the electric Mercedes electric ultra premium BMW, that that's a $10 billion company. You know, so you're pricing that in and the next three vehicles they they bring out. So I, at just what point are we pricing in too much of the future here, right? Right, right. Yeah, you know, that's actually, it's something that I've said about, and, and it's been one of my frustrations with Lucid. Uh, maybe I can even pull it up. Ivan, uh, maybe I shouldn't even mention where it's from. Maybe I won't do that. Uh, but uh, there's, uh, one of my biggest concerns with Lucid has been, 
the lack of talk around autonomy in like you're saying here my belief is that any electric vehicle company is only a car with batteries unless they actually have the autonomy that the autonomy is where the play is that's one of the reasons every time tesla's red i'm such a bull on I'm, I'm adding to this. I posted a video today about the Federal Reserve and my comments on the Federal Reserve. I filmed that while I was driving to Santa Barbara at 80 miles an hour on autopilot. Now, of course, I was still paying attention to the road and, and making sure that, you know, things were safe. But, you know, that was a that was a nine and a half minute video. And I, I felt like I didn't even need to be there. And I don't even have full self-driving. I, I have the highway full self-driving or whatever it's called, but not the where it goes through the streets or whatever. Uh, and one of the one of the things I did is I reached out to Lucid and I said, "Hey, what's where? Where is the autonomy? I want to know the autonomy." I actually reached out to uh, uh, Trevor Milton uh, as well about this autonomy. Uh, I know back in the in the Nikola days, you got to do your DD, man. No, but anyway, I, uh, I, I asked. I go, look, I need to know where is the autonomy. That's what I care about. Uh, and he said, "Yeah, we're we're not planning on launching the Badger with with autonomy." Uh, and 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 I'm like, what? No self-driving. I mean, now obviously in hindsight, it's like the the Badger was a was a beautiful picture. You know, it was maybe something we could non-fungible token, uh, not something we can actually drive. <laughs> we'll have to talk about that. But uh, you know, uh, I asked Lucid the same thing, uh, and and uh, you know, I won't go into the details of how, but but essentially. The response I got is, oh, well, you know, we, we've got the technology, we've got what it takes to do level three, but we're not ready to disclose the actual system we have yet. And here I am thinking, wouldn't that be like a crucial part of the valuation to provide, like, if you're going to have a 72-page investor presentation, wouldn't you at least talk about autonomy on one of the pages? What, what What's going on? Totally. And I that's something that doesn't connect with me with lucid i'm curious your take is like is it a car where i'm supposed to be driven around and i sit in the back seat because if you look yeah. at their marketing and messaging and the styling of the inside of the car that's what it is like this sort of executive back seat which is great and comfy but it's like aren't the cars gonna be driving ourselves like i don't know it feels like there's but it's built to be chauffeured kind of so i feel like there's kind of a disconnect between the vision of lucid and that's mm. what i wonder is when i backed out of the uh, 650 million dollar backlog they only have about five thousand reservations and those are fully refundable so even up to like nikola that kind of pales in comparison so you know they put it out there they've spent all this millions of dollars in marketing but i don't think there's a product market fit like there's no evidence that this lucid air is actually something people even want like it's just more expensive with worse specs than the model s but maybe slightly better stitching on the seats like, is that really going to justify a $60 billion company? Like, uh, so I, when I take a step back, I say, you know, who actually, I, I haven't ever met one person who's like wants to buy the Lucid Air. And I know a ton of people mm -hmm. who have Teslas, you know, um, I am an EV customer who's thinking about the Plaid Model S. I'm not even considering the Lucid model. You know, they're saying their charging is better, but they want me to use Electrify America instead of the Tesla superchargers. That's luxury. Mm -hmm. So like something mm -hmm. doesn't fit about this actually being a game-changing billion-dollar product to even justify the $10 billion market cap that we're getting to. So I don't know. I'm curious. What am I missing here that gets you so excited mm -hmm. about a luxury electric sedan competing head-on with Elon Musk and Tesla? Right. Yeah, the the excitement. I think. Well, so I think the question is, why why would I invest in uh, Lucid? And the reason I invested in Lucid is as a social play 
as an alternate to Tesla. It is very difficult to take a company now and, and project out, and we can. Uh, in fact, I wrote down you know what what some of my original thinking was, uh, and what it's on the mouse. One of my original some of my original notes on this were: uh, this company wants to ramp to four hundred thousand vehicles. It's going to take them a very long time to do that. If they ramp to, let's say, 400,000 vehicles by 2026, let's say, uh, and they have an average selling price because it'll come down. You know, they're going to sell these 140 cars, 140K cars. That's going to come down. Uh, you know, they might end up with, let's say, an 80,000 average selling price. We'll go with that as an example. That's somewhere around 32 billion in revenue. So then they're selling for two times 2026 20, revenue. And when you compare that to Tesla, and, you know, it's, I mean, we can, we can play numbers all day long, of course, but when we compare it to Tesla, you know, Tesla, I, at least I've been thinking probably somewhere around the neighborhood of, uh, you know, 500, I'm sorry, uh, 5 million cars by 2026. Yeah, I think you have a chart on this. I, I haven't looked at your chart. I try to look at my, uh, play my own numbers, but I'd love to hear yours. So if they do, let's say 5 million cars by 2026 and they sell these for 40K a pop, it's around 200 bill in rev. That puts them around, you know, today's value, like three and a half times 2026 rev. So Really, what Lucid is, is, you know, under $30 is it's a social play on a Tesla alternative. Uh, once we get over $40, $50, $60, it starts getting, you know, way ahead of itself. But when we look at, okay, potential for 2026, Lucid has the, the potential for building into something that could eventually compete with Tesla. I think it's silly when the CEO says that he doesn't want to compete with Tesla. He's competing with Tesla. Like I, I don't, I don't know who he's kidding. It's, it's clearly a Tesla competitor. And in a weird way, and I want to hear your thoughts on this too. In a weird way, it, it feels like the only potential Tesla competitor. And don't get me wrong. They're three or four years behind Tesla. Therefore, they could be as five, six years behind Tesla. But they're the only freaking one, unless you want to go to Neo and Xpeng, or you know. But then, but then you're in China. What do you think? Yeah, no, excellent points on the valuation, the price sales comparison. Um, I personally think Tesla is kind of way too highly priced right now, though. Like, I'm like, dude, the last thing you should be pegging it to is Tesla, which just ran up 20x and is trading at quadruple what it should be. Yes. Like, yeah, if that's the only way we can justify Lucid, then. But um, I also think in their investor presentation, they said 500,000 cars by 2030. So that's their goal. So maybe the 400K by 2026, a little aggressive. Um, but I think you're yeah. right there. You know, if if they can justify and break that norm and that norm exists where car companies trade at four or five times sales um, versus 0.5 times sales, which was five years ago, like Ford and GM, then yeah, there's a chance to rationalize zero upside from 60 billion five years in, in the future. But I think how much of that price sales premium is priced in because it's software, because it's yes. going to be autonomous and because Tesla has this unique Elon Musk innovation solving the world's largest, you know, trillion dollar autonomy problem priced into the 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 story that I think Lucid is is not going to be able to justify the high price sales multiple without that. So I don't know. There's lots of kind of different factors at play there, though. You know what I think is I think it, so. Two two parts to this answer. Uh, one, I do think the first of all the autonomy value at Tesla could be an entirely separate business. Like they could spin that off as just an AI company, and and it would be. It would be the the best tech company that exists in the world. I feel like it's it's so brilliant the technology they have there. Uh, it's it surprises me that more companies aren't like get your act together and start chasing Tesla on this already. Who knows? Maybe Apple is. We'll we'll talk about Apple in a bit. 
But uh, in terms of the actual vehicle and and uh, who might be buying this car, oh, to finish the thought on autonomy, uh, it is possible. Obviously, they could just and they'll probably end up doing this. They'll probably just plug in a mobile eye. They'll probably plug in like uh, you know what what uh, Tesla did in 2016. They take the off the shelf chip, which is not as energy efficient. They plug it in. Cool, we got autonomy. Great. I mean, at this point, you could do that. You could go to Qualcomm, get autonomy. You can go to Mobileye. You can go to Nvidia. They've they've all got it. You can plug and play it. It's not it's not going to be as great as Tesla, in my opinion. But uh, they'll have the autonomy, uh, kind of like Neo in in China. Uh, but in terms of who this might appeal to, like, why haven't you met somebody who's like, I want to buy a Lucid? Well, first of all, it's expensive. But I, okay, this might sound funny, but I want to hear th your thought on this. I think it might be a boomer car. Dude, I think it is a boomer car because all of the <laughs> things that they're saying, like, oh, we're going to have this better detailing, the better interior. Like, that's what, like, your dad's friend says about why he doesn't want to get a Tesla because the detailing's not as good as Mercedes. And all the companies they're copying, BMW and Mercedes, are all declining and getting disrupted by Tesla. So the market's showing you they don't want that. So that's, I don't know. And if I think if you just think about it rationally, the autopilot, the charging, the price, the speed, the range are all better with the Tesla. So, yeah. e like you know, what, what gives here and, and as many people, you know, that what I'm big on recently with all this is like lucid gets this huge premium because they are competing with Tesla. They are a similar company, but I look at that as the biggest weakness. The last company I want to invest in is something going head on with Elon Musk. And with the battery, look at battery day, every single innovation at battery day that was listed is not going to be in the lucid car, cell to structure battery pack, 4680 cell, you know, the machine that builds the machine, this revolutionary way to build it, the tablet electrode, you know, this is like, layers and layers of cost advantages um, and technology advantages that you know we haven't even started with lucid so when i think about as much opportunity as there is electrification autonomy i just have this weird gut feeling that it's a monopoly runaway effect and that this weird pricing in of like every company having a chance at that holy grail which is seen what we we're doing just doesn't seem to sit well with me yeah and and i think that's something that's so weird about tesla is that in some sense it's hard for us to believe that there could be a winner take all pretty much. It's it's hard for us to believe that because we've all grown up and lived with Toyota, Honda, uh, or Honda, Hyundai, Ford. Like, I mean, I, I, there's too many car companies to even bother listing right now. We're just wasting time. The It's shocking to think that in, in five years, certainly the next 10 years, we could be in a place where you got two names in the game and that's it. You know, which one do you want? It's, it's weird to think that that could be a potential. Uh, I, and I think there's going to be a lot more collapsing than, than, uh, than we've ever had before. <laughs> like there'll be a great collapsing, so to speak. What's your take on that? Yeah. And as much as the robo taxi is this holy grail, great business. I mean, at the end of the day, you're buying the robo taxi from your own production line. And instead of getting that 50 grand or a hundred grand up front for that car, you're going to collect it in increments over time. So even the robo taxi, when you think of it, um, and then you have competing robo taxi networks pricing to the bottom, it's like, maybe that's a really crappy capital intensive business as well. Like, you know what I mean? So even if lucid is doing 32 billion in revenue in 2026, like how much of that is actually flowing to the bottom line? you know, 6 billion, a 20% margin in a best case scenario. That's 6 billion. It's like a 10 times probably key. Not. Probably uh, half that. Probably half yeah. that. Exactly. So yeah. um, I don't know. I'm also just 
part of the lucid CEO, I, I'm not sold on him being like the game changing innovator to change the world, right? That's what you need if you're going to go all the way and disrupt these industries. And like Elon Musk was that guy. I don't see the lucid guy as having this kind of visionary approach. Like his business model is basically copy Tesla, but add it like a, like a salt bay of Mercedes. Like, you know, that's not a trillion dollar idea. Like, Hey, they got some cool LED lights inside. Have you seen those? <laughs> no, I haven't. Maybe that'll sell me. That, that, that might change my mind. Yeah, I'll have to pull it up. Uh, now, I, it, it, one thing I want to mention, because you, you mentioned this, and it's a good, actually, uh, thing about Lucid here, or, or a criticism of Lucid, is this marketing presentation. I saw that, what, what you talked about. I'm going to pull up those LEDs, but I, oh, here we go. Okay, well, I'm going to say two things. So first, the LEDs, then we got to talk about the uh, those seats you're talking about in the back. So this, look at that. Look at those sweet blue LEDs. Come on, man. That's money right there. Uh, I actually got a, a $30 mod for my Tesla where I have purple lights inside and it looks super like that. It's honestly dope. Oh. That's going to look cool. I'm not going to lie. That looks cool. <laughs> this is lucid LED though. Oh. <laughs> uh, now, one thing that's really funny, is, and I just, I made this connection earlier, but I actually had written this yesterday and I just realized I had this note here, but I actually wrote under this, I wrote Apple Strat. And the reason I put that is because when I was researching the Apple car, they were talking about literally hiring people solely for the purpose of like designing console LEDs. And I'm like, that's interesting. And then here this is with all these fancy LEDs and stuff. Uh, but I have to say, you know, we'll touch on that, but I want to go to this car thing, this reclining thing. And I do want to caution anyone who's thinking about investing in a SPAC. One of the worst things you could look at when investing in a SPAC is these investor presentations. Because these investor presentations, I feel like, are a bunch of baloney. Uh, this is really cool, but like then they write, it's always the fine print that gets you is planned for future release, you know? So like that, that won't even exist at the beginning. There was another thing too. Uh, oh yeah, here it is. So look at this. Uh, e efficiency is the ultimate measure of EV tech. And I agree with that. I think the, you know, uh, kilometers per mile or, or, or what is it? The, the kilowatt hour or miles per kilowatt hour, right? Exactly. Miles per kilowatt hour. Uh, it, it, hey, you know, if Tesla's at four or what they're saying, you know, under four or whatever, and they think Lucid's at four and a half, whatever, that's great. I, I agree with them that this technology is important, but we also don't actually have real tests yet. And this is something that does bother me about Lucid. And I'm just being transparent about that because, you know, I can invest in a company, but still be pissed about things. I get pissed at Elon sometimes too. Uh, there's some things I wish they did differently, which we could talk about. But uh, take a look at this. Data for Lucid Air Grand Touring is based on projected EPA range, estimated range. EPA estimated range for Lucid vehicles are not available. So it's like literally they're making up their own numbers. And saying, we think the EPA is going to think this, but we, we don't know. So yeah, look, I mean, with a SPAC, I think what's really important to remember is, I'll get rid of myself up here. What's so important to remember with these SPACs is they're, they're these infant little brats, basically, that, that just walk around your house and slobber up the walls and ruin everything and suck money out of you. And, and you know, Tesla was no different five years ago even, right? But again, Tesla's got that lead now. Yeah. And at what point do people care? That's I'm I'm just baffled. Like that Lucid makes no money, that Nikola makes no money. Um, <laughs> that all the estimates are fake or like, you know, actually, well, I, I do want to give them some credit on that 500 mile range thing because 
Um, if they can pull that off and deliver that car before the Tesla hits the 500 mile range, like if they can deliver a customer car with 500 miles that actually does hit that before Tesla does, like that would be an achievement. You know, like I'm a skeptic. I'm, I'm like, you know, walk the walk, don't talk the talk kind of guy. But if they do that and get even one customer that goes 500 miles, like I'll kind of be like, all right, like that's a solid achievement. But I'm also like, damn, the margins on that car must be atrocious. You know? <laughs> but, uh, well, then again, it's 160 grand. <laughs> true. It is 160 grand. But so there's a lot where it's kind of like, it's just, if they could pull it off, I think there's like, I see the potential. It's hopium. It's, it's, you know, the cheaper you can get into some of these SPACs, uh, great. Uh, there's, there's a lot of hope built into this. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about it. Like I, I, I'm up on my position. I've, I two X my position on it. There was a point it was three X, uh, my, uh, it, it, to me, it doesn't so much matter, uh, because I, I look at it as, all right, I've got this massive Tesla portfolio and I, I look at, okay, what is the, what is the best possible number two I could put my money into. I love the idea of being gung-ho about winner take all, but I do the same thing in energy too. So for example, I'm a huge Tesla energy bull. I think Tesla energy is one of the most undervalued businesses that exists. The, the solar subscription model, I know you're big on the solar roof, the solar subscription model, game changer. Uh, my number two is Enphase. Because people who don't buy Tesla products buy solar products from other companies who oftentimes use the high quality reliability of Enphase, high margin business, producing profits, actually making a product. <laughs> but where, where do you go for a number two? Like if you had to pick a number two, do you go to China or where do you go for a number two? It's, it's so weird how far ahead Tesla is. Yeah. I mean, I spend my energy looking for other number ones because I don't I like that. <laughs> number twos are never where the money is. I mean, Apple had 10% of the smartphone market share, 90% of the profits. I just think the innovator commands the, the, oh, yeah. the, the profit margin in any industry. And like every time I've tried to get smart and guess, you know, whose Tesla supplier is, I was long Molly Corp stock before it was MP materials in mm. 2011 and got burned on that. Like, cause I was, you know, getting smart on the cell phone craze by buying rare earths. Like every time, you know, to me, there's so much in the package and the brand um, and the tech and that one innovator who's leading. Um, maybe you could say Snap and Evan Spiegel got screwed by Facebook. And that would be one example where that didn't happen with the stories. But in yeah. general, I just feel like there's not many scenarios where the number two, like, I don't know. I just don't see, um, I don't see it. Yeah, it, it's, it's uh, something where you know, you look at like, yeah, you've got Microsoft and Apple, but is, you know, who's, who's the third, like, are you going to go to Acer yeah, or, or whatever? Like who is, where's the, I, I mean, I suppose Microsoft isn't directly producing uh, computers. I, sh I should and, think of a better analogy. And now when I think of number two, I think of Neo and Xpeng because let's, okay. okay. So Tesla is going to be premium software. I think that's really hard to catch up with. The other big part of the market is cheaper batteries, right? And so I think that Neo, which is an, an Xpeng could be eventually subsidized by the Chinese government. They could eventually start exporting, which they're already kind of dabbling in. And like, to me, that is a serious number two is I think China let Tesla build a factory there, built up all their supply chains, knows this is the next you know, centuries fuel and is going to go all out in EVs and has this kind of government tolerance to, to take a price hit and just undercut everybody with 
so when I think about number two, I think about Lucid, it's like, dude, Lucid is in real trouble when you think about Tesla on this side and all the Chinese EVOMs on that side. So if I'm thinking number two in the EV game, I think it's, a, I don't think it's Rivian or Lucid. I think it's a Chinese OEM. It, it, it very well could be uh, Neos. Uh, I, I would probably expect to see some Neos over here and maybe even in still in Biden's first term. I don't know if they'll actually get a factory out here. That one of the issues I have with uh, Neo is, uh, and this is where, and we'll see because we actually haven't seen anything other than like beta vehicles is, and, and maybe this is not an issue at all, but, uh, you know, Neo's got their partnership with JAC to manufacture vehicles uh, with, with JAC, 50% owned by Volkswagen, 50% by China. They're, they're not producing their own vehicles, right? They're not producing their own batteries. Uh, in fairness, even though Lucid started as a battery company and, and they use their, some of their battery technology, they're also going to partner to, to get their vehicle mainstream. You know, maybe in the future, they'll have their own version of a 4680. Uh, but that is one way, one place where I see a little bit of a differentiation between Lucid and Neo is, is on that manufacturing side. How much of a concern do you think there should be with Neo partnering rather than uh, vertically integrating? Well, I think Neo is winning because they actually have thousands of tens of thousands of cars on the road. So I would say Neo's strategy in that way is already better. Yeah, Lucid can say on their PowerPoint, we're vertically integrated like Tesla because we're doing our own factory. So we're way doper. But let's see if you can actually <laughs> scale cost effectively in the US now, because that's where the rubber meets the road. Um, so I'll be very curious to see if they can pull that off, because I think that wholly owned factory either becomes a huge asset if you know how to run it or a massive liability that kills you if you don't know what you're doing. And so Lucid to me hasn't proven either one of those. Yeah, it's true. That's where the benefit of partnering with a manufacturer is they already have experience in manufacturing. Speaking of that, tell me about uh, you know what 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 you can regarding what you've learned from manufacturing at uh, Arkimoto. Uh, I mean, I don't want to speak too much on Arkimoto, but I got to be careful about what I say. But even more so, I've learned from like Tesla, I feel like, because I I was got a couple factory tours of the the Tesla factories, like with investor relations back in the day uh, in Fremont with Martin. He's awesome. And like, I felt like that seeing the Tesla Fremont factory change and how it failed with Model 3, how they had to build the tent, how they had this crazy network of like conveyor belts to automate everything that totally Dude, failed. So yeah, they got so much hate. And um yeah. Failing is the only way to succeed, you know? And I don't think Lucid has even failed once yet. So uh, if you're going to be that's a shareholder- good, man. What? They're that good, They're yeah. That good. <laughs> but, but if you're going to be a shareholder, like expect the failures, like be ready for Lucid to, to like come out and say, they just delayed production. That was the other news that came out. Nobody even like, the fact that like their one fundamental metric is when they're going to deliver their first car and like that got pushed back. Nobody's even talking about that. But that to me is the one thing to watch. It's like, uh, yeah, it's just the execution. Let's see if they can do it because I think there's going to be a huge, huge hiccup. What do you think about all of these uh, electric vehicle commercial companies? You know, obviously there was a massive sell-off in Workhorse today when they lost the USPS contract. But you've got these companies like Arrival that gets pre-orders from Amazon. Canoe gets pre-orders from Amazon. Yeah, pre-orders. I, I, I do the quote-unquote because I think the whole pre-order thing is you know, sorry, but bullshit. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's just endless. You know, what's, when is this going to stop? How many more times am I going to hear that there's a company that's going to EV every school bus? Yeah, 
And the reason why everything hasn't been EV is because the tech just isn't there. Like it's not good enough. The batteries weren't good enough. All that stuff wasn't good enough. And so when you're investing in these high growth tech companies, like it's like, what is not necessarily the financial statements, not what products do they have, but what's the tech they're building and how can that relay out to the world? So, you know, whether Tesla's building these kind of buses or all that stuff now, like they have the battery that every other company needs. They have the self-driving that every other company needs. They have the charging infrastructure that every other company needs. So all of the core competencies that would lead to sustainable competitive advantages for those companies, I see them having no advantage if Tesla tries to enter that market. And the only reason Tesla hasn't tried to enter that market is because the ROI isn't there because the tech's not good enough. And Tesla's leading in the tech. So they're going to do it first when it's ready. Canoe is not going to come beat them at, you, you know, I, so uh, I know I'm like a little bit way too much on my Tesla diehard kind of fanboy uh, line of thought, but I'm just trying to be candid. Like if I saw these companies as a threat and thought they were credible, I would, but it's like, you know, just walk down the tech needed to achieve their vision and tell me that Tesla's not leading in every single category that they need to have, you know? So that's where I'm, I kind of struggle to see the, the excitement. In fairness and counter on the Tesla, and obviously I'm a huge Tesla bull, uh, you know, they can't get their Roadster, they can't get their Cybertruck, they can't get their semi-truck. They're having trouble getting these things launched. They got so many ideas, but you know, even the Cybertruck just got delayed. Yeah, delays happen in automotive. You know, is is that is that something that's a death threat for Lucid, or is it just uh, you know, par for the course? It's par for the course, and that's where I like we gotta you know let Lucid fail a little bit because I I can't like knock them for always delaying, and then Tesla delays, and I don't knock them. So I've, I'm trying to see both sides because I I feel like that's just par for the course, like. Uh, yeah. you know, every EV company is going to do delays. It's like in the rule of startups, like everything takes twice as long as you think and costs twice as much. That's a great rule of thumb, you know, I like that, that, you know, we say that in real estate too. <laughs> <laughs> there you yeah. go. Uh, we've, we've gotten to the point sometimes where it's like, okay, that's your estimate, double it and then add 50% more, <laughs> just like it keeps getting worse and more ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, so, I mean, even like, look at, um, plug power, uh, you know, plug power, goes to the moon on all this euphoria over there's going to be a, a partnership with Renault, the uh, automotive manufacturer in France, and they're going to have hydrogen trucks. And I'm like, dude, hydrogen's 10 years away. We don't have the infrastructure. They're barely, they're not profitable on their forklift business. I'm not trying to bag on plug, but plug 7Xing, <laughs> you know, like at some point, the valuations don't make sense. And, and this is where it's like, look, you know, Am I am I okay investing in let's say the X ping? Let well, I'm going to call it the, the Neo or the X ping of America at at 60 bill, you know, at or 58 bill, wherever it is. Hey, you know what? As a small part of my portfolio, sure. Uh, I, am I going to buy heavily there? No. Did I like buying it heavily at seven nineteen dollars? Totally, obviously, happy bought it there. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, the vast majority of my new money is going into to Tesla, and it makes me just wonder. Is, is anybody, are people just, is this going to be a cycle basically? So the question, is this going to be a cycle where basically, whether it's Wall Street bets or, or the trend of the day, money just circulates and goes, okay, now it's plug. Okay, now it's CCAV. Okay, tomorrow it's canoe. And then it's over there. You know, well, what's the future like? That definitely is. And I think at some point, you know, the quarterly earnings have to happen and these companies have to show that they're making progress. Like, and that's the one thing that I would look to cut through all the BS in this is, you know, plug power. Another one's like blink charging. I've seen those names pop up. What do they always do? Dilute shareholders. Every opportunity that comes up where the stock goes up, they're diluting shareholders and trying to, you know, 
The what? Oh no, I haven't. But I, they're doing the same thing, probably. Dude, that that guy. Every single time the stock goes up, new offering. <laughs> Dude, is is Lucid selling cars or stock? We don't know. Right now, they're a lot better at selling stock than cars, and they sold a lot more stock, and it'll take them years to even match that. So, you know, I think it's like, yeah, I don't know. That's that's my take on Lucid. Is I really think the stock is the product, and I I want to see them execute each quarter and look at the dilution. How much capital are we burning? How much progress is made? How many new shares are we issuing? How is the governance? of the company evolving. You know, Tesla, I'm studying for a decade, watching their corporate governance, how they raise money, how careful they are to spend it, how much progress they make spending it. Like this takes a really long time and it's really hard. And it takes, you know, years to understand these extremely complex businesses. So the fact that people can even think they understand Lucid with this PowerPoint, I don't even think the full SEC filing where the, you know, employee, you know, a director salaries, which is one thing I was looking up. I couldn't even find that because I don't think that SEC filing's out. So I'm like, dude, there's not even enough the data hasn't yeah. come out for you to start researching this stock. So, yeah, uh, it's yeah, it, it's it's a, it's you know early on it's a social play, and then it becomes a question of when does it hit that peak where it's like does it make sense selling now or holding? Uh, for me personally, where, where I am with my cost basis, it, this this is a hold for me. Uh, but I agree with you. In fact, one of the things I say regularly is take these investor presentations, and it's almost not worth reading them because yeah. they they will brainwash you too much to one side uh, they're they're very dangerous i see a lot and, and i don't this is uh, not thinking of anyone in particular uh, because i can't even think of somebody off the top of my head uh but there i see a lot of media will take these presentations whether it's on youtube or twitter or whatever and they'll literally page through oh look they're gonna have this total of the total addressable market it's always tam it's always a percent of tam that's how these business everything's tam okay it's like the the biggest clickbait in the world is the tam's gonna be moon and this is where we go is is one percent a moon, and that's high. You know that's higher than I can jump. It's ridiculous, man. I, I don't know. Throw this this crap away. Like, I think what these spacs are is is a money race. You know, it's and look, you have to give them credit. They just raised, I think, what is it, four and a half billion dollars or something like that. They got some money now. You know, they got some money to crank. Uh, you know, I know you can't speak to to Arc. Obviously, you guys have a, have a different uh, setup at Arkimoto, a different type of vehicle. Uh, you know, I think in, at the end of, I think the Bloomberg was showing your end of 19. There's like 16 million bucks or something like that. These guys got like four and a half bill, right? And, and, and obviously totally different market. But uh, yeah, I mean, like four and a half bill, they've got some money. So like, yeah, you're right. Like, let's see some actual production now. But, you know, it's kind of like they're up at bat. Now let's yeah. see what you can do. And so if, if I was a startup advisor for Lucid, like this, what I would be telling them is like, bro, we raised way too much money. Like we're going to get way too fat. We're going to get way too lazy. Like you guys haven't done anything. We haven't even delivered a single car. And now we're all partying. Like we IPO'd and we're, we're 60 bill. We got billions in the bank. It's like, dude, the work hasn't even started. And like, yeah. so I just, this has nothing to do with Lucid, but just like, you know, I invest a lot in startups and I've been having a, this conversation with a couple of my startups. I feel like that's the era we're in. Like everybody's hyped. You got the blog post. There's this. And I'm like, are your users growing? And they're like, no. And I'm like, then I don't care. You're going to tell me your valuation just octupled and you want me to give you more money at an 8x valuation when your metric isn't the same, but because you got on a blog post, like that is the era we're in. And Lucid is that on a $10 billion scale, you know? So that's what I would be saying. If I was an advisor to them, I'd be like, bro, this is the worst idea. Like we have way too much money. We're going to hire thousands. They want, they have 2000 people. They're going to hire 3000 guaranteed. Like, you know, they end up with thousands of people they don't need. So if they're if things are going correctly, they're going to do a massive series of layoffs in a year and a half from all the crap they're hiring now. But you know what I mean? So there's a lot of levels to this. So we found the CCIV bear. 
Uh, I, yeah. I think Apple might buy it. I think Apple wanted to buy it. That's my bull case on Lucid. Is there is is Apple wants Lucid because Rawlinson and Doug Field, who Apple poached, were part of the Model S, and they think that if they get them back together, they can beat Tesla. So I think that's Lucid's out. You know, I just found this out like a couple hours ago with with uh, in a live stream. Actually, uh, did you know that Johnny Ives is on the board of Churchill, uh, which is is the SPAC company? <laughs> Yeah, that was my face too, man. And uh, so I've heard a lot of interesting rumors about that where like Tim Cook wants the car to be his thing, like his legacy defining project. They've been working on it. He wants it to be his thing. And then Johnny I was beefing with the design and didn't think it was going to work, which is why he left and created his own design firm to little sort of detach from that. And when Tesla was getting, uh, Apple wanted to buy Tesla, one of the reasons the deal didn't work is because Johnny Ive and Elon were not seeing eye to eye on the design of the vehicle. And Johnny I wanted final say, but Elon wanted final say. So there was also a culture clash there. So um, I don't know. That's one thing I've been researching a lot and kind of in between lines. There's a really lo decade long history of Apple, Tesla, uh, courtship that, I, that failed, which is why I think Apple doesn't want to miss that again and wishes they bought Lucid for 10 billion. But maybe now it's too expensive. But um, what? Tell me about this because the story we hear at the like surf, you know, surface level media is that Elon went to uh, Steve Jobs or, or Tim Cook, I think it was at the time, and wanted to sell Tesla and he wouldn't take the meeting. Like that's that's the surface level story. What you just said is a little deeper. T tell me yeah, more. What, what are people missing? So I talked to a, a employee who worked at Tesla during these times and was telling me a lot about it, sort of like, um, and dude, it's fascinating. So it started in 2012 or 2013. They wanted to buy Tesla, but the value skyrocketed. So they couldn't make it happen. Like the M&A teams were meeting. This has been going on for years. And then 2017, 2018, Elon actually thought Tesla was going to run out of cash. Model 3 ramp, was it going well, that automation? And so the Apple M&A team was still there, but they were like, we're not going to pay 80 billion for Tesla or whatever. Like it's trading for 40 or 50. We got to buy it for 80. Um, it was just too much. And so the talks fell apart, but Elon was still worried. Like, Apple's got all the money. We need the money. We're going to go out of business. So that's when he reached out to Tim Cook is after the M&A uh, teams couldn't come to an agreement was like, yo, Tim, let's have a meeting. Like, I want to scheme with you. And Tim said no. So that's why Elon took that so personally. And this is just all like speculation. I might not be right. I'm pretty sure this is how it went down. But so that's why Elon was kind of tweeted it and want that out the record. Cause it was like Tim Cook and Apple are going to say they're for sustainability. They're going to say they want to do the future of the world. But it's like when you have the chance to like give the olive branch to save Tesla, who was changing that trajectory of, of climate emissions of humanity, they didn't give it to them. And that's why Elon wanted that story to be told. And then Tesla just exploded and is way too expensive for Apple to buy them. And that's Apple's M&A team's biggest regret of the past decade is missing Tesla. And that's why they're spending so much time on Lucid because they don't want to mess it up again. And they know the car is their only growth opportunity that can add a trillion to market cap. And so, a trillion dollars. I was actually speculating about this earlier. I was thinking to myself, how, like, okay, say say Apple gets into their own cars. What's it going to add? You know, uh, like a couple hundred mil as a brand new car company? You think it, like long-term adds a trill or, or quickly? Yeah, I think the smartphone was this cre incredible platform like Uber, Facebook, Lyft, DoorDash, all these companies, what do they have in common? That we all run them through our phone. And the phone created like trillions of dollars of market cap and value. I think the when the car becomes a phone with just a box around it that can move around, it's way more useful. And once they're autonomous and we have tens and tens of millions of users, Tesla rolls out third-party developing app store. You know, this is the new smart device of the 2030s that changes everything and unlocks huge value. And so I think that's why Amazon, like, and, and don't take my word for it. Like 
That's why mm -hmm. Amazon is going into this. That's why Google, you know, did Waymo for 10 years and invested billions. That's why Apple's been doing Project Titan for 10 years. Uh, that's why Lucid is worth 60 billion when they haven't done anything, just because there's a chance that they might play in this multi-trillion dollar robo-taxi uh, economy. Wow. Wow. So I spoke with Sandy Monroe the other day. He thinks that robo-taxis are like a, a little pit stop that we're, we're basically going to go from autonomous driving to eVTOLs. What's your take? It's possible, but it's going to take a while. Um, I don't know. Elon has a really interesting electric jet design he was just talking about on Joe Rogan. Um, but the, that batteries have to get way better, but I don't know. I'm not convinced. Like, I think the future is what we make it. And I don't know if we want the future. I'm looking outside right now. I don't know if I want cars flying around over my head, super loud everywhere. Like, I think that's just a niche, um, in corridors along cities. Like you don't want them. I don't know, man, we're getting into wild territory. If that's what we're starting to think about, right? Like. <laughs> It's true. It's true. Instead of garages, you have helipads. Like, I'm more of the case that autonomy will take another 10 years and that Elon's oh, yeah. way too hyped on that But versus what comes after autonomy is kind of my theory. And then once we get autonomy, you know, if, if we can really move around for one tenth the cost per mile in cities, like how much, you know, pressure is there to innovate on another solution for a while? Huh? Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Yeah. So what? OK, you said that tesla is overvalued what's your buy target for tesla and, and i mean whether we get there or not like what do you think is a reasonable valuation i mean so my cost basis on tesla is 240 per share pre-split so i don't even know what that is like 50 bucks per share so that's where my cost basis is and it's still like 80 70 percent of my portfolio like you know tesla is just not compelling to me on an upside basis until we get at least below I don't even, I mean, 500, like, you know, I think Tesla's worth 200 billion and that's normal. And that's maybe a fair value for where we're at today in a normalized market condition. So that's a third of where we're at today. But I think yeah. there's, you should attach a premium to that. But I don't know. I, I do think we're overvalued. Like, I, I just think, you know, there's the, the cash flow, the, the yield, even if you assume the 3 billion of operating cash flow that they posted last quarter without CapEx times four, 12 billion, you know, 500 billion on that, that's, what a 2.4% free cash flow yield. Like, I don't know. That just feels, it just feels ridiculous unless, I don't know, maybe it's not because there's no yield anywhere. I don't know if I crunch those numbers right, but you know, I don't know. I, I, I think about it every day. Like I can't, I don't, I wish I had a good answer for you. It, and it's frustrating because I look at, for example, um, you know, we were talking about, uh, you were talking about how important uh, increasing metrics are, like the, the blog posts, like we got to see numbers going up. Mm -hmm. it, you know, I was looking at uh, Square earnings a little bit, and that there is a company that I think is a great company that has a lot, a lot of growth built into its pricing. And when they missed revenue expectations, things sold off 5%, you know, which isn't like dramatic, but I mean, it's a big company, 5% is something. And uh, it, it just, I think sometimes it goes to show like, maybe, maybe we're just in this weird market right now, where everybody's got these insane expectations that these companies who are real companies, like they actually have to have, they have to hire people to grow, then they have to provide more service, they have to get more businesses on board or customers or whatever. You know, is Wall Street maybe just drinking some uh, euphoria Kool-Aid, you know, like what's yeah. going on?
And that's why I was pumped about the sell-off today. Because look, the intrinsic value of Tesla is just doing this, right? But here we were for years way below it, and now we're way above it. But it's still going to catch up and hit that. That's why I'm not selling. But you know, the yeah. stock market, it, it goes wildly, wildly swinging around that intrinsic value. So that's just the yeah. most important thing to remember. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. Just the con so always reverting to that sort of intrinsic value, but swinging left and right uh, along the way, like the quote you mentioned earlier about long term weighing machine. So then, you know, what what for you is is the next thing you're investing in? It, it, you know, you've got your Tesla position. Is it just put more money into Tesla, or what's the next number one for you? So I don't know if this is a number one, but my neck, my last big bet I just placed was in a company called Carta, which is a private investment deal I did for HyperGuap. Got to get you into HyperGuap, actually. But sure. um, what, uh, what was it? Carta. But, but yeah, Carta, which is a uh, software company, a financial services company. Uh, Mark Andreessen's on the board and just wrote a blog post about their new thing called Carta X, which is what they're calling the third option. So instead of uh, spacking or IPOing or remaining private. They're essentially building from the ground up a, a exchange for private shares. Right now, it's just for accredited investors. Um, and if you Google Carta X, that's the the thing on the top is the platform they launched on top of their kind of existing business, which is this marketplace to exchange private company equity. So if this mm. takes off, spacking won't be a thing. You know, Impossible Foods, Neuralink, the boring company, Robinhood, none of these companies um, are actually trading that you can invest in. I still think the best clubhouse, I still think the best private companies in the world who think super long-term, SpaceX, do not want their uh, stock trade on the public markets. Look at the mess of GameStop, how you can short your stock more than even exists. Like, I think they're, the market's desperate for an alternative of how to unlock the value in, in the equity markets. And Carta has this mission of create more owners. Their first name was eShares to like digitize stock and make it tradable. Like instead of getting this paper settlement thing, you settle everything digitally. Um, so I think Carta is in the super early days of building what could be the future of like NASDAQ 2.0 or 3.0 and yeah. um, how all private company equity gets exchanged in this software native way. So that's kind of an out there theory, but I think that's something that I'm, I'm in the next year or two becomes a lot more relevant and people are going to start hearing more about. Very interesting. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah, I, I agree that, uh, that a lot of folks I feel like on Wall Street are looking for those off-market opportunities now, which again feels so frustrating for, for the retail person who's maybe not an accredited investor because you know everybody's looking for something to invest in and, and it's frustrating with where valuations sit right now, but it's just it's such a clear consequence of of the essentially the world's monetary policies uh, that have just been so so uh, encouraging with low interest rates and money printing and stimulus essentially monetary stimulus so uh, do you think that this uh, today was this just a uh, let some pressure out of the pot a little one off or uh, do you think we have a larger crash to come i'd be lying if i told if i knew i spend zero time guessing on the macro you know, stock market's up today, down tomorrow, up today, down tomorrow. I don't care. Great companies are going to do great in the long run. Um, that's just where I focus all my time. And I think if you're caring about the market going up and down and you're freaking out, checking your phone, watching it all day, like, bro, like get a life, like, come on, lit, lit. There's a world out there. Like God, that's no, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> that's a really good point. Uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, it, it's definitely, you know, if, if you're, if you're trying to trade, you could be glued to stocks all day long you know it's it's it can be addicting so what about uh, you know 
do you have any any even interest in looking into the electric vehicle commercial segment or is it mostly for you look i've got tesla over here you know i know i know spacex you're super bullish on that obviously private you've got you know some of these other private investments is there anything on the market publicly available right now that's that's even remotely interesting to you so the biggest one that I've been pounding the table and I thought Apple should buy him. I bought in at 22 and then it sold at 27, killing myself, Peloton. I think that is such a good, well-run company. They're making the world more fit. It's a super, uh, it's like an eight times sales. Uh, you know, that's 33 billion, half a lucid, but they just did 1.2 billion in revenue. They're profitable. They have an amazing product that people are obsessed with. I think they make it cheaper. They come out with new stuff, different ways to work out. Um, they're making humans healthier. They have a software recurring subscription component amazing CEO, owner, operator, founder, kicking ass, executed at every single turn. Like to me, that is an A plus company that I do not see trading for an A plus 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 valuation, which is what every right. company is. They're an A plus company trading for an A, A plus valuation, which actually seems fair. So if there was one company that that's, that's one that I've been really fascinated with and just, I think is very under misunderstood. You know, one of the things that, that was so fascinating about Peloton was uh, back at the beginning of, of the pandemic, I also invested in, in Peloton. It's, it's probably right around the size of of my investment into like even like a Neo uh, or um, yeah, uh, Square. That's right around there. So I don't have. It's not like a very very large position. Like I've got more money in Redfin than I've got in Peloton, but it's it's a sizable position. Uh, when the pandemic started, one of the things that I think Wall Street is still potentially missing, and it started at the beginning of the pandemic, is Peloton was this product that you had to try it in a mall and then you would have a commission sales rep that would take about 50% of the margin of the product. The COVID created such virality around Peloton that in my opinion, even though people treat Peloton like a COVID play, and even though Peloton might suffer in the short term over the next six months, as people maybe rotate out of this, the stay at home plays and, and go into maybe the, the recovery plays, I, I think Peloton now has this position where they may never have to have, and I'm sorry for, for the sales reps, but they may get to a point where they never have to have commission sales reps anymore. And it almost becomes like a Tesla model. Tesla started with commission sales reps in the stores and, and then they got rid of them. And I think Peloton, that could make margin on these two to $3,000 products. Whew. Oh. And, and I mean, talk about the recurring subscription. I mean, that's another thing, but I mean, the commissions thing, I think Wall Street's missing that. Dude, that that's huge. Make money on the hardware um, and the software. Um, and I, the COVID play thing, like you know, I think they were growing over a hundred percent pre-COVID. So I think that is the contrarian take True. of why I like this play is because they're lumped. But in they were tiny. They were tiny. But like the people think yeah. the growth is just going to go away and it's a COVID bump. When I'm like, no, this is a structural, long-term. Like this is a game-changing, super disruptive, hyper-growth company that is really changing their segment for the long term as a disruptor. Mm -hmm. And so I think they're being misinterpreted as a COVID play. So that's why I like that opportunity. Why do you think, uh, or, or what do you think rather about their Procore acquisition? The uh, manufacturer of all those all that gym equipment. I didn't look into that, but I know their next thing they want to do is the rowing machine, but I haven't looked into Procore. So if I was thinking of growth, the rowing machine. So what do I, what do I think about Peloton? Like my biking's more my legs, right? So yeah, how yeah. can I get my upper part of my workout too? And, yes. um, the other thing that Peloton's done, the best part of their business model is they've created a scalable influencer model for trainers. So if you're a trainer, you can actually become like an influencer on Peloton and scale way beyond a class of 30 people in a room. I can teach 30,000 in one class and make 
yeah, a thousand times more money, have a whole career, get sponsored. So now you have a, a thing where the best trainers in the world, the most energetic, the most charismatic, the biggest influencers want to build it on this platform because that's the platform where you build your own following. So they've created this amazing incentive alignment to get the best uh, content from the best trainers and the first ones to sort of create the, the virtual workout influencer at scale. And that wow. to me is a, is a bigger disruption than this home gym thing. And so mm. there's a lot of, I think Wall Street just doesn't understand about what Peloton's doing. That's really interesting. I mean, what one thing I love, first of all, is is the commission model because the commission model, or not the commission model, the uh, the subscription model uh, that we've got with Peloton, because people they I feel like people will refuse to cancel their at home Peloton subscription because they will always tell themselves tomorrow is the day I will go back in front of that trainer. They will always do that. They will not admit failure and cancel that thirty nine ninety nine a month or whatever it is. But I have not even thought about, I mean, what you just mentioned is very similar to basically, you know, you've got these really good apps on the Apple App Store, and there are some apps you can only get on the Apple App Store, especially when the Apple App Store first came around. Before there was an Android App Store, there was only Apple. And it's like you have these really, really good apps, and, and they're just running on the Apple ecosystem. I mean, it's kind of similar to almost like, hey, you've got these really, really good celebrity trainers. And they're only on the Peloton platform, huh? Is, is that is kind of potentially what you're thinking? Yeah, definitely. And it's it's mm. almost hard to really wrap our heads around because it's never we've never seen a model like this. But um, they're onto something big. When you see people pumped about the classes, wanting to do them, and I think there's had somewhere like thirty thousand. They keep breaking the record for like most people Jeez. in a class. Like that's you know there's something cool there. That is cool. That is that is really cool. I mean, I could even see in the future because not everybody has room for all this this equipment. I could see gyms of the future just being Peloton gyms. Like you go there and and they're just literally it's just like there's the Peloton bicep machine and there's some dude like come on, come working hard, man. hard, huh? you know? <laughs> like I don't know, am I wrong? It'll be like a hologram. Actually, you want to know an even better <laughs> play for Peloton is it's a VR play. What's the infrastructure? We have our suit on and we need to run everywhere with our helmet and we're strapped into place and there's a treadmill on the bottom <laughs> and we're getting pumped up by a trainer, but we're also gaming on that platform. You know, to me, Peloton should buy out like Call of Duty and start developing games for Peloton where it's just as much about working out as it is like a game in a virtual world. Because I think the technology of having real estate in our homes that we can walk and move around on is a game changer. Like that's, that's Create the VR, that, that's that, the VR that right there. Sell Tesla, man. I'm going all in on that right there. Cause if I could play call of duty while getting a workout, damn, <laughs> that's the future, man. I like that. That is a future I want to be in. <laughs> oh man. Peloton invest in the future you believe in, get them to push into gaming. I actually think now I'm like, dude, I should probably start getting back into Peloton because especially with these couple moonshots, they, this could add another 50 bill of market cap, bro. Like, yeah, that is, that is really, really brilliant. I, I am fascinated by even just that, that future. So, uh, okay. So, so that's Peloton. What do you think about, uh, let's see, what's, what's another thing. So you Peloton, you really like, uh, have you looked into Matterport at all? That's that's one maybe maybe I'm gonna interview the CEO of Matterport tomorrow. That's a sorry, the 3D scanning business where for real estate or architecture or construction, the camera that spins around and they collect all the artificial data. I really think artificial intelligence has a really big future. And and we see a lot of that in Tesla too, with their AI computer. Uh, but the the possibilities for all of this AI data, I mean, I just feel like is is endless. How, I mean, what value can you put on 
on these AI companies that are coming around? Yeah, the AI thing is, uh, it's hard to know because you'll hear the buzzword of AI, but when you think about a company that could actually generate like a bunch of value as being an AI company and what that actually is, like the only AI at scale that works right now is like YouTube recommendation algorithm, you know, Facebook's content recommendation algorithms. It's really just dictating the content that we watch. Um, mm. That's why I think what Tesla is doing as an AI company is so interesting of like, you know, operating machinery uh, and taking out millions of humans and just being an AI to operate that machinery. Like that seems like probably a lot more ambitious, risky, real world use case of true AI at scale than what Facebook or YouTube's doing. So um, actually, yeah, there's. <laughs> You've got, I want to know this what what do you know about this supercomputer they have the the dojo uh, over at tesla do you know much about this thing this sounds wild i mean this is the kind of innovation where tesla is like eight thousand light years ahead of anyone else which is okay picture training for our neural net and frame by frame versus like video training like how do we get the neural net to instead of just processing images and think about them process video which is a huge leap and a huge kind of breakthrough in, in the safety and reliability of the system which is is that of, not possible now i think well they've been slowly doing it um, okay. so I'm not sure this is a little, honestly over my depth, but what was so fascinating is I thought Elon's recent tweet about dojo for doge. So Elon thinks people think he's do joking about doge. I don't think he is. And I've had a lot of emails about what if Tesla uses their, you know, huge battery and computers for cryptocurrency mining on all their Teslas and stabilizes a, a currency network about that. And dojo is that system. And then Elon's tweeting dojo for doge. So I think there's a, there's, you know, Maybe driving the car isn't the only thing the Tesla AI can do in the long wow. run. Wow. Mining, like, mining Dogecoin. <laughs> mining Dogecoin while it's in your garage. And uh, yeah. Wow. I mean, uh, just endless possibilities. So on on coins, I've been meaning to, I've been looking into the, the uh, these non-fungible tokens. And I've been meaning to ask you about what your thoughts are on Logan Paul selling three over $3 million worth of non-fungible tokens or, or whatever, you know, Ethereum stakes in, in this in this digital piece of art he put together that uh, it doesn't exist. It's like, or it's some card that he basically, they drew up and designed and said, hey, you can own a stake in this Logan Paul card. Uh, here you go, only 3,000 spots or whatever, or 4,000, whatever it is. And, and boom, they raised 3 million bucks in like, you know, a day. Yeah, it's I, so this is totally the future. This NFT thing, we could be hitting wow. a bubble where it's like, okay, too much money is flowing into this digital art thing. But I think at, at its core, it's a way to like tokenize and trade art that's digital. And I think this is so like, it's so cutting edge. Like I'm a bigger investor in the Unisox just that started out as a fun project, which was this non fungible token for a sock. Um, I think it's an NFT. Have you heard of the Unisock? Um, you, I, you brought that I think up I mentioned a lot. I, I keep thinking about like, you you have the share of a sock basically and so i, I have one sock that i bought for 60 bucks that is now worth like fifty thousand. it hit uh ninety thousand, and i also got a dividend of a thousand uniswap tokens which are now worth 20 grand so 60 dollars <laughs> to at one point well over 100 grand like this is it was mind-boggling it was because this was like the first nft it was this first like real world tokenized product so there's sort of some computer science history now where we've we're 
And this is a little bit different than the, uh, cause mine's like redeemable for a real sock. We're talking about Logan Paul's just like literally a pixel. Like there's not even a real sock behind it. It's just a pixel. Um, but I think this is a new category of art and it's like Bitcoin just cause you it's in cyberspace and you can't wrap your head around it. Doesn't mean it's not real. You know, people are paying for it. Maybe there's way too much money flowing into it now and too much excitement. But this idea that there's digital artwork, the more time we spend in the digital world, the more value these digital things will have. If you get a piece of this one of one digital item, which has cultural relevance, just like a painting, you know, look at a Basquiat. You could say that only has a hundred dollars of real world stuff and and ten a hundred million dollars of virtual value in in the brand. It's just a hundred dollars of a painting and a canvas and some acrylics or whatever. So yeah. when you look at a, a hundred thousand dollar sneaker. It's a hundred dollar sneaker with ninety nine thousand nine hundred dollars worth of you know, uh, virtual va value. So we're this. I think that we're in this massive liquidity tidal wave of securitizing um, all these sorts of art and collectibles and sneakers and cultural products that are gonna start looking like money. And uh, and it really should be thought of as art. And I just think a lot of people aren't understanding it, but that's why I'm so fascinated and excited by the space. Like I was a sneaker collector back in the day and I'm like, bro, we had to do this. How many times did I get scammed for fake sneakers? Yeezys are gonna trade on the blockchain. This is the future. I see it. This technology is how all this limited collectible Right, what is right now a tens of billion of dollar fragmented market expands into hundreds of billions. And then all those, you know, as liquidity comes in, the prices go up. So I think, um, yeah. I got I got to know though. I mean, why, like, look, I, I get that like this, this Logan Paul thing is just pixels on a screen, but so is Bitcoin in some sense, right? At what point do do people say and, and you know in fairness we started discuss this discussion about actually producing a product at at lucid and and you know now we're talking about tokens and and uh these non-fungible token in, in investment stakes or whatever into this pixels essentially and and there's so much liquidity that people are just desperate to go buy anything isn't this like really dangerous or or is because there are so many options for you to put your money into kind of just maybe in a weird way de-risk things because it's like we just keep coming up with new specs or new tokens and people can only buy and hold so much stuff so just if we have so much more money let's just create ten thousand more products you know yeah, it, it does seem weird because it's like, when is this going to hit the real world? Is it all totally a bubble? Is it like Beanie Babies or or that kind of thing? Um, and I think it's the truth is somewhere in between. Like we're going to see a lot of the hype fizzle. A lot of these NFTs that sell for millions go to like zero that will be worthless. But there'll be some that will be weirdly looked at as iconic and that on Travis Scott's next Fortnite stream will be an interactive landmark um, in the virtual world that everyone will want to interact with. And you'll charge them a little bit of Bitcoin to interact with it. And all of a sudden you're generating millions in fees from your NFT token in the digital world. Like where this all goes is, is, is pretty mind boggling. But my bet is that people care more about what happens in the digital world, you know, as, as time goes on, not less. So, because I mean, when I first heard, I think it was like three years ago or something like that. So people were talking about like, digital real estate oh go claim your digital real estate yeah. and i'm like dude i'm a i'm a real estate agent like i'm a real real estate right like what <laughs> it this makes no sense to me is this isn't this the same thing as digital real estate yeah definitely <laughs> in some ways um <laughs> yeah that's scary no it, yeah it is scary i don't know i wish i had a better Answer. Are you think, excited uh, about it because you made so much money on your sock? Yeah. I mean, I was excited about it because I thought this was a piece of history of like 
this is the future of how these limited edition streetwear things launch. And I love limited edition streetwear. So I want to be a part of history and I bought it. And then all of a sudden I started learning about it and got thrust into this, this world. Um, but I think, I don't know. I think just cause we don't understand something's value doesn't mean it has, doesn't have value. That's one of the biggest things. Mm. And mm. I just try and be a student of the game and it's like, bro, they're paying millions of dollars for this Logan Paul pixel. Like I'm not, I can say it's not worth that, but I'm wrong because people are paying for it. You know, they're not paying millions of dollars for my pixel. What do I know? So I don't know. I just try and be a student of the game and kind of watch what happens. But I think there's something to be said about um, if everything's going digital, like, I don't know, like, like I'm, I'm actually working on this video now about Clubhouse is a VR company. Like Clubhouse is going to expand this huh. VR world. They're building rooms where we can hang out in. Uh, imagine if they let you launch an avatar. There's a room where you can play with that avatar. And then, you know, that's a massive universe for these like virtual goods and nfts to sort of thrive in and so when i think about all these ecosystems emerging i think there's so many opportunities where i see more humans spending more time online and putting more of their you know worth and self-esteem and monetary value into that digital life and avatar and you can think that's ridiculous or messed up but i would argue history's on my side of that happening and it will continue to happen and then we have a massive explosion in this nft market but like anything you know, the bad NFTs will, won't, won't last. I actually have a moonshot where I think every company should launch an NFT. Like if you're Uber and you have a guy who hits 10,000 rides, give him an NFT to hold in his wallet and show his homies. Like if you're a restaurant and you, you have a best customer, give them an NFT. If you're Tesla, every one in 1000 Tesla buyers should get an NFT of the car for their virtual wallet. Like these are free to make. Why are they not? And they're amazing marketing tools. So I think we're going to see like the Logan Paul pumping what his out own FT is genius because he got in while the bubble's still hot. But soon I think the supply is just going to skyrocket of these things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it's interesting, this virtual world thing. Look at this. This is EXP real estate is a virtual real estate brokerage for real. Sorry, let me make this a little better. It's, it's for it's for real real estate agents. So it's it's an actual thing here. Uh, like, uh, you know, it's, it's a company that does, uh, you know, all the agents can work from home or whatever. But if you Google EXPI world or virtual world or whatever, uh, you you literally get, you know, this this virtual place where you could just like, oh, I'm going to park my avatar, you know, somewhere on this virtual world. And in the meantime, people are at home, you know, doing whatever they need to do for their clients or their contracts or whatever, or, oh, you know, oh, so-and-so is doing a training seminar here. Let me go to this uh, virtual classroom, which we, we kind of see right here. And then your avatar goes in there. Like, is, is this kind of somewhat what you're thinking? It could be a, a more mainstream thing, not just for real estate agents, which EXPI is doing, or EXPI is the stock ticker symbol. EXP world is doing. Do you think that something like that could actually go mainstream for everything. Yeah. Like it'll be, so you'll be on your Peloton, you'll put on your VR, you'll log into clubhouse and then you'll go into something like that. And you'll be walking around on your Peloton in your house, but you'll actually be, it'll feel like you're walking around in this virtual world. Whenever you talk, your avatar will automatically get shot to the, the front of the stage. So everyone can see who you are. And then I don't know, I, I'm just kind of making it up, but like, yeah, I think that's exactly the kind of like, I don't know. It's like, it's like the matrix, you know, it's what we're all uh, talking about when we all well, have Neuralinks, how easy is it to just log in and you know, you, how far away, how far away am I from a link? Um, 10 years, maybe 15 years, okay. but how many oh, people 
are already in VR? How many people are already playing video games? How many people are already spending so much of their life on a screen, living in the digital um, world? About 16 hours a day. Yeah, and then you're asleep for eight. So you're either in <laughs> dreamland or on the screen land. You're never even IRL now anyway. like. Uh, even when I was driving to Santa Barbara today, I'm filming a video <laughs> on a screen. <laughs> that's a good point. Wow, man, that's crazy. That I mean, what a what a bizarre world. So, I mean, okay. So, you know, next step here for you. I, you know, I want to wrap it up on because uh, I, I got to go. You know, maybe five more minutes here. I got. I want to wrap a circle back to Tesla and ccive here mostly i want to hear you know i know you're very bullish on tesla i want to know though is is tesla gonna 10x again or or you know is this maybe a 2x stock and yeah it's gonna be something else it's gonna 10x for i think tesla is going to 10 trillion even if fiat doesn't hyperinflate it will just take time you know nice. is it 2027 is it 2030 is it 2035 i don't know but i think tesla has a 10x um, in the long run, if they execute on autonomy and they execute on bringing the solar roof and they execute on sort of creating this decentralized energy grid um, and selling all these electric cars, you know, buses and trucks, I think we have a $10 trillion company and really an energy company at that point. But I think that could happen. I don't know. The part where I get bearish on Tesla is if Elon leaves. If he uh, leaves. Which he's implied. You know, um, maybe four he's or implied. five years, he might leave. Exactly, which makes me worried because I, that's on my time frame of being an investor. And I think a huge part of Tesla is the innovation premium associated with Elon Musk, which is justified. Uh, you know, he, it's a call option on the smartest inventor of all time um, and what he'll come up with next to create shareholder value. The second that smartest inventor is not or is putting less of his effort and focus into game changing innovations and disruptions for that entity, the innovation premium will decrease. And so, you know. I see. Okay. So, and I, I just linked your channel too in, in the, uh, if you refresh, it's in the description. If anybody wants to follow HyperChange, I added it to the description. I realized I didn't have it when we went live and I'm sorry about that. So shout out to obviously your channel, HyperChange. So, okay. So you think uh, Elon leaving is a big deal. So you must not be happy about Jeff Bezos leaving. Yeah. I, well, I don't own any Amazon stock, but that, yeah, I tweeted that. Gene Munster was like, yo, this is not a big deal. Um, Bezos yeah. leaving, it's still going to operate. And I re replied, I was like, I kind of disagree, bro. Like if I was on long Amazon, wow. like I, the innovation premium of this was a selling books online. If we stopped there, this would have been a billion dollar company, but we had Bezos keep scheming. And so that's why it's worth a two trail or whatever. So Andy Jassy was a founder of the company or almost founder worked there for a really long time. So that's a, about as good as you can get. Um, but I don't know. I think it's like when Michael Jordan leaves the bulls, you're getting less pumped on the bulls. Like it just, mm. that is what it is. When these people are so great and they create so much value, they are the needle mover for these entities. And when they leave, you know, they take that, that magic with them. What about like Steve jobs? Steve jobs is uh, well, that's, that's what makes me optimistic about Tesla is that you can milk your profits for decades after that, yeah. you know, founder leaves, look at all these other companies who like IBM or like all, you know, how many other random big companies Chevron are still milking, whatever. So, but I think Apple's done innovating. I mean, my phone is bigger than last year and heavier. And I don't think the camera, I can't even tell if the camera's better, but I know the battery's worse too. So I'm like, dude, this is, you know, they're just waiting to get disrupted. But uh, wow. Steve Jobs was just so good that he gave them such a head start that it's just going to take another decade for it to happen. Um, but Elon's going to beat them. Neuralink, I mean, this is the chip in our hand that we look at with our eyes versus the chip in our head that we think through. It's, it's, yeah.
That's amazing. So really Neuralink, the the cell phone of, of, of your brain basically, or the embedded cell phone. Yeah. And it's not even, a, it just, imagine if you could control a computer with your mind. That's what Neuralink is, like without touching uh -huh. or tapping or typing, but you could do all that with your uh, brain, clicking, typing, moving, opening windows, Googling something. Uh, the, 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 if, if, if the computer is a bicycle for the mind, the Neuralink is a hyperloop for the mind. <laughs> wow. That's a, that's a, be a big, big, big step. Yeah. Jeez. So, okay. So very bullish, obviously on Elon here, unless Elon leaves. I'm shocked though. I mean, you 10 X, I mean, we don't have, at least I don't, what's the largest companies we got? We have like Microsoft and Amazon and Apple. They, aren't they all like two trill? Like, I mean, yeah. you're, you're thinking three to three to four X, the largest companies that exist today for Tesla, which is 10 to 12 to 13 X what it is today. Yeah. I think all those companies will grow. Like there'll, there'll mm -hmm. be a handful of $10 trillion companies um, eventually, you know, just with inflation wow. and the way these companies are growing. Like, I think it's, yeah. Like Amazon, I think they're going to five trail even without Bezos. And so do you think inflation is going to be a big deal in, in the next two, three years here? Or, or how much longer do we have before rates go to the moon and, and we all get screwed out of the market? Yeah. How do we, you know, I, I, that, that's actually the biggest thing. It's like, we're talking about these trillions, trillions, this trillions, that Lucid's worth 60. It feels like we're just playing with monopoly money. I mean, how oh, yeah. long can we go on? I think the biggest trend that has changed with all of 2020 is that uh, governments are now okay with pressing the button to print money. UBI was a radical theory just a year or two ago. Now it is almost like we already, we already did it twice. And I bet you before Biden's out, we're printing a lot more money, just sending checks to Americans. And so how is that not rapid, rapidly accelerating dilution of fiat currency? That's my biggest pet peeve. If I own a stock, that's what I think Lucid's going to do. Just dilute, dilute, dilute. I hate dilution. Shrinks your price of the, the piece of the pie. makes your purchasing power less. That is the biggest trend happening in all of finance right now is the like accelerating dilution spiral of fiat, which I think at some point has to lead to inflation. And I'd argue we're already seeing it with Lucid Burst 60. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So is it, are, how much, well, let's see, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think if inf Bernie Sanders today mentioned that he's pushing Biden for a $3 trillion infrastructure package after this $1.9 trillion stimulus package that feels like it's coming. What actions are you taking to hedge against this potential uh, inflation and this continued money printing that you, know, you said you think is going to come here through the Biden administration? I don't know if Bitcoin's going up or Tesla stock's going up or any of that's going up, but I think fiat's going down. So oh, wow. I want to own equity in technologies that I think are more relevant in 10 years than today. I want to own assets that can't be diluted like Bitcoin. Um, and that's what I call the awakening, which people on my channel hate that word. But that's what I think is really happening is people are waking up like, wait, like if this is diluting, like I kind of want my money in other stuff, like maybe an NFT, you know, there's nothing backing a dollar, just a piece of paper, maybe a sock's better than that. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's, that's a, that's a statement there. I mean, so what you're saying is the Logan, the digital card of Logan Paul that, you know, I'll give him credit. Maybe it took him two weeks to design, you know, I, they probably put in a hard two weeks of work for that. Okay. You're saying that because they, they, there's only one of those and, uh, you know, they, they, they're only selling a certain amount of tokens against that that could be more valuable than essentially the US dollar, huh? Well, it's like what Elon said about we bought Bitcoin. Bitcoin sucks, but it sucks less than the dollar. 
And so, (laughs) you know, it's not like I think these things are great, but I just think without the gold standard of the dollar and with us just having this random bureaucratic committee deciding how much we print, like my confidence in that as an asset and being strategic about how it prints and what it does and who's backing it and how much value it has is low. And when I think about, it's all about the perception, the change in the perception of the future that dictates value. So it's like, okay, well, if everybody believes fiat's 150 trillion and that the US dollar will always be a thing. And I think that's the future that everybody believes. So I'm starting to bet that actually, I think the perception will change that the dollar isn't the only thing to store value, that we don't need to keep all our money in dollars, that Bitcoin might be a thing, that real estate might be a thing, that tech stocks might be a thing. And that 150 trillion is going to leach out into all these other assets as people realize that. And so I think that pendulum is about to swing. And that's why I'm a contrarian. I do it when nobody believes it's going to happen. You know, I was long Tesla when everybody thought they were going to fail. That's why I made guap, you know? So I think it's the same way of Bitcoin and the dollar. It's like, yeah, nobody believes that Bitcoin will displace the dollar when I started investing in it. So that's why I'm going to bet on it because the second that perception changes, that's when the value accrues. Wow. That's, that's absolutely incredible. Yeah. I, I think that's very fascinating. So, uh, oh gosh, a lot of NFTs coming. Well, uh, thank you so much for your time today. This has been absolutely fascinating. I love it. I love hearing your opinions. How can people get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me. I love your channel. This was, I had a blast today, but yeah, uh, Galley, my channel is hyperchange. You could just search hyperchange on YouTube or Twitter and you'll find me. That's amazing. Hey, well, thank you so much. We'll have to have you on again. Hopefully next time it's not on a day. That's like, uh, one of those days you wake up, you go, holy crap. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, ho- hopefully we're like, oh yeah, Tesla one K let's go moon. Yeah, right. Definitely. Uh, so Thank you. I really appreciate it. And uh, for anybody watching, if you found this helpful, consider sharing the video, consider subscribing, Uh, check out HyperChange on YouTube. And folks, we will see you in the next one. Keep in mind, in about seven minutes, I will be on the Millennial Money channel uh, with Graham, Andre, and Jeremy. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time.